The Athletic. So Liverpool beat Rangers 2-0 in the Champions League on Tuesday, yet Jurgen Klopp's side is still 11 points off the pace in the Premier League. On Sunday, they go to Arsenal. So from challenging on four fronts, are they now in an early scrap for the top four? Joining me to examine Liverpool's start to the new season, senior football writer Ollie Kay, as well as our Liverpool reporter Andy Jones. I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. I think they were a little bit complacent in some ways about a squad that was um, growing old together and was always going to need a bit of rejuvenation. We have to kind of reinvent ourselves. Most fans are sort of resigned to the fact that it's very unlikely they'd be mounting a, a title challenge. I would say Salah seems to be a victim of lack of cohesion elsewhere in the team. So we're recording this, obviously, the morning after Liverpool have beaten Rangers. I wonder... Andy, just from a Liverpool fan's point of view, to start with, whether the most crucial thing about them beating Rangers last night was the fact that they scored first? I think it was it was important, definitely, because of how the amount of times they've been been behind um, in, in games and it did sort of settle everyone in the ground, basically. Just to get ahead and, and sort of be, not be playing from behind, which has been the big problem, because there's only so many times you can play behind and play from behind and get and manage to get yourself back in front. You could see the confidence. I think it helped that Trent probably was the one who scored as well. Given the, the sort of the noise around him at the moment, you could see how much it meant to him, but it also how much it meant to the rest of the team as well and the way they celebrated with him. And then you could build from there, which which is what they've not been able to do so far this season and, and back in the last season. And I started with that, Ollie, because I do wonder whether that frames so much of our discussions about Liverpool on the field. The transfer business we'll come on to later but on the field, because they're spending so many times having to chase games. And, and, and that changes tactics, it changes mentality. And, and, and the stats, are, you know, conceded the opening goal in nine of their last 11 in the Premier League, if you go back to Tottenham in April uh, of the previous season. Half-time in five of seven Premier League games this season, they've been trailing at half-time. So that is important for the context of all of this. It is, although you would say, you know, when they were conceding the first goal in the in the final weeks of last season and they were sort of giving themselves a mountain to climb in almost every game, they always looked like winning those games. They always looked composed and focused and together and, you know, very cohesive, even if they'd conceded an early goal. And that hasn't really been the case Last season, I didn't. I didn't see the game, um, the full game on on Saturday against Brighton. But from everything I'm told, they haven't conceded the first goal. They completely fell apart and were a complete shambles for you know at least 20, 25 minutes before sort of starting to pull themselves back together. So you can say it's skewed by conceding an early goal, but and it is because it makes the, the task harder. But I think they look a lot less confident and a lot less um, focused approaching that task than than they did last season. Okay, but my final point on this is you can't keep doing that forever, can you? Because eventually, fatigue will set in. I mean, me- a-, a mental fatigue as well. Now, there may be other reasons for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but I would say, I would say this season, it's they've been conceding the early goal, you know, early goals, and it's generally reflected reflected the play that they've not started well in games. At the end of last season, they were they were starting well, and there was some, you know, generally. Starting games well and being hit with a 
on a counterattack or, or whatever, and, and and that seemed a bit unfortunate. Whereas at the moment, it seems like a, a reflection of the way they're playing, and yeah, it, it's it's encouraging that. They didn't concede the first goal last night, but it, but it's you know one game. Or you know people felt that the Burn, the Bournemouth nine nil game was going to be a turning point, but it wasn't. People thought that Newcastle two one was going to be a turning point. It's it's just been a bit stop start with Liverpool this season, and so it's not it's not disaster. But by the same token, just winning one game last night doesn't make everything rosy again. So if I ask you, Andy, what what the the big issue is? What is there one major issue that you think? Can you put your finger on it, or would you have to give me three or four? Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it's one issue. I mean, I, I sort of wrote after Brighton, um, sort of Liverpool have got two big, broad problems. We can sort of put everything over, and one one is tactical, and one's emotional, and and they sort of don't help each other in a way because you know if what Liverpool have been built on under Klopp is is that certainty of of everything, the clarity of everything, so that they know what the system is, they know how they're going to do it. You know how they're gonna, you know, break opposition down. You know how they're gonna defend against opposition, and from that they build confidence because you know they get results. The problem is, is that when when one's not working, that's a problem. When both aren't working, you've got a massive problem, and that's that's been the, the main issue. That tactically the teams have been able to to find ways past them. Brighton, for example, were, were able to use the half spaces between sort of the defence and midfield unbelievably well in that first twenty minutes, especially. And Liverpool had no answer for it, and it's it's not often you sort of see that, but it's been more common this season with Liverpool. Um, and, and that teams have been able to work out ways to get past them and and sort of create chances. But also, there's there's a confidence thing because I mean, after the Brighton game, Klopp mentioned that even when they went three two up, which is where Liverpool after after how bad they were in the, in those first twenty and how good Brighton were to then turn it round three two up, you, you should have the confidence to go and see out the game. But it was. It was very interesting. The club basically said that he wasn't confident in his team to hold on, which I think speaks speaks volumes and it, it just sums up the lack of confidence that's in the group at the moment. Even just down to defensive errors. I mean, you go through the goals that people are conceding and 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 you know, a lot of them are mistakes, not necessarily not necessarily just structurally. So it is. I don't think there's one massive problem because even the early early talk was about the midfield. Well, they had. Fabinho, Henderson, and Thiago, the, the most trusted midfield against Brighton, and, and that still the, the, the same problems were there. So there's loads of <laughs> basically there's a number of different areas where where, where there, there are problems, and that's why it's all accumulating in in going behind first and then not being able to recover every single time. Ollie, yeah, I totally agree with that, and I, I would say when we talk about confidence and and the tactical issue, I think. With Liverpool, everything needs to be spot on. I spoke on this podcast a few weeks ago. Liverpool have performed in a way that and operated in a way the last few years where they've been so incredibly energetic, so focused, so together, so confident. And it's an extreme combination of, of all of those factors that I think when one of them, one of those factors goes, I think the whole thing just feels an awful lot weaker and, and, if they're not, if they're suddenly lacking a bit of energy, if they're tired after, you know, if the preseason wasn't ideal, or if too, some of the fringe players have ended up playing too many games or whatever, if, if one of the sort of links in the chain becomes a bit weaker, then then I think that, I think you see quite a significant drop off because Liverpool have been so consistent over such a long period, and it's just these. I mean, this is really like the second, the second drop off they've had over a four year period, really, or four and a half year period, and. 
the drop-off in early 2021 was spectacular and they recovered from it. And this drop-off, I mean, it doesn't seem quite as extreme as that, but it's um, it just shows that when everything isn't all together, they suddenly look human again. But also, and I'll come to you, Ollie, on this, because you're, you're long in the teeth like me and like Andy, but it, it, my pleasure. I did I did link myself with you. I, I wasn't, I wasn't I'm putting you out there on an island alone in old man stakes. Um it, it's not unusual, is it? I mean, I, every, with the, probably with the exception of the current Manchester City team, it feels like at the moment. But every great team at some point has had spells where they drop off, whether that be for six months, a year. It's actually how you rectify it to make sure you're not dropping off to never come back for five years, six years, seven years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, Manchester United had periods where where they were winning, I think, was it five five league titles in six years, which is what mm. Man City are on course for. But Manchester United were never winning titles with sort of 95 plus points and setting such an incredible standard week in, week out. Manchester United could always, I mean, I remember Ferguson, being Ferguson's press conferences in the early 2000s and he'd say, oh yeah, we've we've lost four games already and this will be, you know, December. We, you know, we can maybe only afford to lose another two. And at that time, it felt like you could lose six games in the season. With this season, it's felt from, I'd say, early September, like Liverpool have been out of the title race. Now, that might not be correct because Liverpool might go on an incredible run. But to me, it feels like Liverpool can't catch Manchester City this season. So when we're talking about teams going on sort of sticky patches during a season, which Ferguson's Manchester United very often did, and and they then go on an incredible run... I just don't think you can do it no. at the moment. Manchester City, a couple of seasons ago, the the, the COVID season, 2021, 20, um, they started very slowly and, and, and then sort of came good in the second half of the season. But that was an exception, really, because it's the only season when the title hasn't been won by 90-plus points in the last five or six years. So it's, um, it, it's difficult. And as you say, it's the objective for Liverpool is they need to be able to sort of get get out of this slump and they need to be able to get out of the slump in a way that means they can compete for the big prizes, which they've been doing the last few years. Yeah, I mean, history history tells us, Andy, I mean, recent history tells us gaps can be closed. I mean, Liverpool closed it last season. Admittedly, they had, they had some games in hand, but they closed a big gap last season. But do you sense a feeling around the place? Do you sense a feeling around the fans that... If, if they're going to have any chance, they need to beat both Arsenal and Manchester City in the next 10 days. It's Arsenal this, this Sunday and City the following weekend. And that sounds ridiculous, bearing in mind that once that City game is over, we're it, we're, we're, it's the 16th of October. It's mid-October. Yeah, I, I think it does. A lot does depend on, on the next two games and, and sort of the results that Liverpool will take. Four points probably. It doesn't feel like Liverpool are in the title race. Just from you know, I don't think supporters would are sort of looking at necessarily you know the gap between Manchester City and Arsenal at this point because they don't look like they're about to go on a a ten game run of wins, which is what they have been able to piece together in in the seasons where they've you know where they've either ran Man City close or or beaten Man City to the title. These two games they're either going to be you know exactly what Liverpool need and a, a tonic and. You know, if if they win both, for example, um, suddenly I think they are. You would probably say they are. Look, you know, they're back in because you potentially back in with it with a chance maybe of the title. I still think it would be extremely difficult, but 
you know the, the momentum that you would generate off of you know winning these two games would be you know monumental in a way at the moment it, it's almost like the league's been put to one side or the long-term thing has been put to one side and, and everyone's sort of just focusing on it feels like the short term of just like let's make let's get back to where we were and then we'll see where we are and it's it just depends on how long that'll take and it's in, it's difficult to know because it's difficult to know how much you can take from the Rangers game for example because Rangers didn't really offer anything um and it, you know how good are Rangers if, if you like and and how do you how do you assess the performance level um because I mean, even though Liverpool were so dominant, they didn't score from open play. Um, so it, you know, is that still a problem? Is and then and then you're coming up against an Arsenal side who are, you know, as informed as you can be. Really, what what system? The system we played against Rangers, okay, that worked. But is that going to work against Arsenal away from home? Is is that a massive risk? It's a massive risk to take. But it's almost at that stage where you know, is it is it worth it to to just see where you are? And but yeah, I think. After these two games, it will shape massively where Liverpool see themselves. But I, I think, you know, most fans are sort of resigned to the fact that it's very unlikely they'll be mounting a, a title challenge. We're going to do we're going to do recruitment and transfers in just a moment. But at the risk of antagonising a lot of Liverpool fans, and our social media team don't put this up because the abuse that will come our way will be will be huge. Well, do you think there's anything in the in in Jurgen Klopp's seven year itch and that he left Mainz and Dortmund after seven years, and now and now he celebrated or uh, this Saturday he's, he celebrates seven years in in the Liverpool job. I think it's reasonable to wonder whether I mean we, we've talked about Mourinho and third season syndrome again and again, yeah. and and you know Brent Rod, Brendan Rodgers in a you know totally totally different kind of manager. Um, but we talked about him in a third season syndrome. I think if you look at the cycle of of Klopp's teams, you know that there has been there has been that sort of peaking around the fourth, fifth season, and and, and or maybe a little earlier in the Dortmund case, and then and then dropping off. I mean, I I don't know enough of the details of of uh, of, of what happened at Mainz. I, th- I expect that was a sort of you know a case of a team overperforming for so long, and then and then just eventually gravity. Catching up with them, but with Dortmund, I mean, I, I followed that quite closely, and that, and that to me was a product of you know a team that was was brilliant and had peaked in that sort of 2012-2013 sort of period where where they where, where they'd won the league for the second consecutive year, they got to the Champions League final, and then they started getting picked apart by not just by by Munich, but you know, Manchester United and Real Madrid as well, but they, they kept losing their, their key players and Goetze and, and, and Lewandowski and, and Hummels. And it was, it just felt, how how could there not have been a drop-off with, with Dortmund, basically? I think it was impossible to keep them at that at that level. And I think with Liverpool, because of the way he's gone about it, it seemed like it was, it started as sort of like a, almost like a five-year plan where he was going to get them to this point, you know, they're building, building, building. And to me, I would say less about Klopp than you know, maybe the club as a whole. Although they've they've invested the last few transfer windows and Diaz and, and Nunez and Canate, um, they didn't really do an awful lot in the transfer market to sort of keep building when they were when they were sort of at or approaching the top of the precipice or, 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 or the peak, the summit. Um, and so that that to me is more of a question than whether Klopp has 
lost his his energy. But uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't I don't look at Klopp as 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 the problem at all. I, I think he I think Klopp is is the solution. But I do think it's it's worth wondering whether whether perhaps it, it's going to be very hard to get back to, to to where they were in the sort of third, fourth, fifth, sixth seasons of his of his tenure because. To me, the natural cycle of this team, irrespective of, of his past record, is is that I, I said even when they won the league in 2020, this is a team that's sort of at its peak at the moment, and without serious investment, it will it will probably not stay at this level. To be honest, I was quite surprised they did as well as they did last season. So, and and maybe this season is the one where sort of things have really started to catch up with them. Although still early days. Are you wondering on the seven-year itch, Andy? Not necessarily. I just think, I mean, the timing in a way is just sort of, is it just coincidental? Because, I mean, it it felt like a bit of an end of an era type thing at the end of last season because they played, you know, they got to every, they played every game they could, they got to every final, they got to, you know, within a goal of winning the league. And it just felt like that was, you know, it was all building to that type thing. The Klopp has, has, has been on this this path with this Liverpool team and, and even though they probably weren't as good of a side as, as as they were when they won the league, for example, you know, to be able to get to that level and, and get to everything and nearly win the lot, um, it sort of is is that type of, you know, that, that end moment, if you like. And it does feel like it's it's at the start of or not necessarily the start because they, they have been recruiting younger players, but Klopp's sort of first squad, if you like, all aged together and all got to that sort of, you know, late twenty late late twenties, sort of early thirties. It's now like the next stage and, and Liverpool sort of not ne- haven't necessarily helped themselves because they have they probably didn't recruit those sort of younger players who would now be ideally the sort of the twenty four, twenty five, you know, area, which is what they're beginning to recruit again now in, in the last few windows. Um, so the likes of Nunes, Canate, Diaz, Jota went when he came in. Uh, those types of players to, 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 for sort of the next club team, if you like. And I do feel like this is kind of a bit of the, the transition, but the transition's been a bit more clunky than than hope. Let's examine that next. Uh, we'll do all the recruitment. Whether there is an element of transition, uh, this is the Athletic Football Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Here's Diogo Jota. Mo Salah is in and scores! Oh, they're in. Once more, it's 3-0. The defence party for Sadio Mane to capitalise. Just pick up on that then, Andy, the, the transition thing. Because 
Liverpool fans media is is some of is actually some of the best around. It's really interesting and really intelligent. I mean, Am- Amfield rap obviously is 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 fantastic, but some really interesting points out there. And and the transition thing I find I find fascinating in that it's kind of happening during a season and. The Liverpool fans tell me, you look at their squad, and we may have mentioned this before, you know, the, the game against Brighton, six of the outfield players were 30 or over, okay? Liverpool have a squad that is either 29, 30 and above or 22, 23 and under. And and Liverpool fans have made a, a big point in my conversations with them that that mid, mid bit <laughs> where players are in their peak, so to speak, 22 to 29, 23 to 29, there aren't as many there. Yeah, and, and that's exactly the point. That it? it's sort of to pick up on on sort of what I mentioned before. It's they didn't sort of begin to recruit those players when they probably should have. But it was difficult. It, it, equally, it's difficult to recruit those types of players because you know it's hard to you know the best. You know, I guess the best 22, 23 year olds a couple of years ago. You know how do you convince them that okay, you you might not play for a couple of years because we've got these lads doing this and hitting these levels. Um, but he, I mean, I mean, you look at it in the summer. They looked at that. Uh, you know, Tuchemeni, who's now gone to Real Madrid, and he sort of again fits the type of profile where it feels like they're building towards the next group who age together. Um, the problem is, of course, they've hit the levels now where players cost a lot, a lot of money, um, and it's it's hard, I guess, to find those sort of you know those Andy Robertsons, for for example. Yeah, well. Yes, but is that because of the level that Liverpool are at, Ollie, or is or is that because they've they've now decided they're going to look in a different market? Because that's the second big thing that Liverpool fans say to me: the era of finding the Andy Robertsons, the Wijnaldums, the players that were bargains and brought in and improved. It doesn't seem Liverpool operate in in those markets in those ponds anymore, and. Is that a problem? Well, I I think it is. You know, in that to me they they've needed to do more in the transfer market these last couple of years, and by which I mean sort of bring more in and, and move a few more out. I think they, 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 the squad has been very stable, and, and Klopp has been quite reluctant to sort of bring in players to challenge existing first team players when, to his mind, he he already has. Those players in people like Alex Oxlade Chamberlain and Naby Keita and, and and so on. So I would agree with the, with, with that that point you're making. That you know they they don't seem to have come out with these sort of left field signings, which have been very very well researched and and, and very well um, very well judged. But is it also a case of their level being so much higher now? So that you know, whereas in 2017, I think it was that they could sign. Whole City's left back, and and he would be an upgrade on Alberto Remain, uh, Moreno, and where they could buy one album f- from Newcastle when they'd just been relegated, and he hadn't really looked up to much, and he could sort of go in and be part of this improving team. They've now got, or they've now had what has been a a world class team. So you know, if you're looking at Hull City's left back or a or a relegated midfield with a with a you know, with, say a midfielder from Burnley or, or something like that. Um, this summer just gone. You know, is the level so much higher that you're not really going to get that improvement? So that- okay, but but if I was to if I was to flip that, Manchester City signed 
Manuel Akanji from Borussia Dortmund, where it didn't appear like there was a massive market in that in that situation for him. That kind of took a lot of people by surprise. Manchester City also brought in uh, Sergio Gomez, the left back, the left back from Anderlecht. So you you could argue that Manchester City are still operating. I mean, I know they've got Haaland and I know they spent money on Calvin Phillips, but they were supplemented with what you could argue were cannier buys. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think I think you know with, with Akanji, it's probably in some ways similar to the Canate signing, isn't it? it it's, yeah, it's, it's mate, not, yeah, You wouldn't say it's not the kind of signing Liverpool have have made. I, so I, th- I suppose there's also an issue where it felt like Liverpool, you know, when they were not at that elite level, when they were sort of building towards that with with Salah and Mane and and Wijnaldum, Robertson, etc., um, they were sort of operating in that sort of very clever area of that transfer market where, where you shrewdly pick up these these up and coming players who are sort of 23, 24 who you think can get to that level and it feels like everybody right now is or almost everybody is now operating in that market even Real Madrid Chiumeni Camavinga etc Rodrigo Vinicius you know, they've been they've been buying much younger players and they're the club at the top of the food chain and Liverpool, Liverpool have missed out on players to them in the past couple of in the past couple of years, and and no doubt will will continue to do so, and it, it's hard to compete when when the clubs you know when so many more of the clubs at the very top of the food chain and Bayern do it as well, um, Man City certainly do it. Chelsea are thinking of well, making murmurs of going in that direction where it's more about potential than than proven A list profile players. So I think it's become harder to pick out those those players and also Liverpool's level is is now higher. But equally, you can look at it and, and say, as I've said, it's, I don't think Liverpool have done enough in the transfer market in that maybe sort of 2019 to 2021 period where where they were, um, I don't know if they were, I don't know if they were oblivious to it, I doubt it, but, but I think they were a little bit complacent in some ways about a team a club a squad that was um that was growing old together and was always going to need a bit of rejuvenation uh, Julian Ward Andy was central to the deals to sign Diaz and Nunez is is he going to take this in a in a different direction to Michael Edwards who he replaced as sporting director good question I, I don't I don't necessarily think so because I guess your idea would be don't fix what isn't broken I guess and and the system under Edwards was so good and has proven to be so successful in the way Liverpool recruited that you know they've got very few transfers wrong really in, in terms of the amount of players that they've they brought in. So you would and and Ward has you know worked under Edwards and sort of got that apprenticeship in. So he will have seen you know everything that that, that went into it, all the the you know the the data, the analytics, all that type of stuff. And you would imagine that he was well, you would expect he. You know, we just sort of pick the baton up and, and carry on, and he'll, he'll obviously have his own style. I think he's got, I think he's got really good relationships in Portugal, so that probably helped them in terms of those those types of deals that you know for for Diaz and, and Nunes. The, the point Liverpool find themselves at at the moment is when Klopp was making those early signings, you were building towards something, so they were still sitting around the top four area, even when they get to the Champions League final and get beat by Real Madrid. So that's that first time round. They were still building towards it. So you can sort of make those types of signings as you progress to get to that first big league challenge that you go for, for example. 
the problem they've got now is they're at that level where you're expecting them to challenge for the league. So as you, you you now sort of needing players to come in and hit the ground running straight away. You, they haven't got sort of that settling in period which Klopp sometimes likes to give them. You know, you like Savandi Robertson who got sort of six months to sort of learn what was going on. Fabinho was the same. Just to, just to build into the side was now because Liverpool are, you know, there's so there's so little margin for it, especially in the league in in terms of the points you need to hit. You've got to be on it straight away, and and when you're trying to integrate new signings and and sort of, you know, Nunes means a, a, a system change really in terms of how you're going to work with him because he's a different type of striker in in that sort of front three. I just think because they've done so well, I think all the teams have looked at their model and are, are copying it, and therefore the market is you know is is more you know more competitive, and therefore people get more of you know inflated because if Liverpool are looking at your player. If you're a selling club, you're going, well, clearly they see something. So, you know, and then values, you know, rise and rise. And, and with the competition, you get bid and wars and stuff like that as well. Final uh, final question here, Ollie. Uh, Liverpool's critics will point to the selling of Sadio Mane being an error. And some will also say giving Mo Salah a, a massive new contract might also be an error depending on how much he's being paid compared to the rest of the squad which would concern you more I think it was impossible to to keep both of them this this summer I think I, th- I think had they kept Mane they, they would have ended up losing him on a free transfer probably at the end of last, last summer they, I don't think they could afford to keep them both so that, that they had to make a decision Mane, Mane um, said he fancied a new challenge and, and it just I think if, you, if you'd asked most people at the, at the start of the summer or at the end of last season, which one would you keep? You'd say Salah. Maybe not unanimously, but I think most people would have looked at Salah. He was just turning 30 in the summer and he looks like a player who will go on for, you know, go on scoring goals at the at the previous rate for a long, long time. Giving people a lot big, long contracts at 30 is, you know, comes with certain risks and Arsenal fans will will know, you know, know what happened with Mesut Ozil and with and, and with Aubameyang previously, and that you know th- th- those decisions were hailed as coups at the time, but but very quickly backfired. And I think everybody would have said Salah's not that type. Salah is Salah is incredibly sort of focused, a real supremely driven player. This isn't going to be a problem. And you know it's early days. I don't think there should be a problem. He scored five goals in all competitions this season, which isn't isn't his previous rate. At all, but it's it's to me he isn't he isn't threatening to score the way you would expect him to. He, he's not really getting in the same positions. But I th- I would say Salah seems to be a victim of the sort of lack of cohesion elsewhere in the team at the moment. I, th- I think you know that there are a lot of adjustments being and made. And a victim of Erling Haaland, which every single striker is. Well, yeah, if you, if, I, mean, I mean every single striker is. Absolutely, absolutely. But but whereas whereas Salah was, you know, Salah's had spells where he's been scoring at an incredible rate and scoring incredible goals at an incredible rate. And looking, I think this time last year, people were saying, is he right now the best best player in the world? I think there was, in terms of form at that particular time, I think that was a legitimate question, legitimate debate. But um, this season, he, he just he he just isn't operating in those areas because he's he feels like he's been moved wider because you know, Nunez or 
Nunez has been a, the focal point in certain games. Then it's been Firmino. Then it's been uh, Jota. It's it's a team that's sort of well, it looks like a team in transition to me. And Salah seems the answer to it seems to have been to shift Salah ever further wide, and even more so with this new four two four 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 two formation where he's where he's really you know, he's really operating in an extreme um, right wing position uh, against Rangers. So it, it's I would say that the questions of Salah are less about his condition and, and his motivation than whether whether the team's struggles this season have had an effect on him because because the right side hasn't been right at all. You know, Alexander Arnold, um, it's been a sort of question mark in the middle, and, and then Salah on the front. It, the balance hasn't been right, and he's not he's not had the ball in the positions he normally would. Um, but I'm sure if you. This is why I don't think the the shift to four up front, effectively, um, I don't think that can be a long-term thing. I think that's probably a sort of pragmatic short-term solution because I think ultimately for Salah, to get more out of Salah, I think he needs to be in that wide role in a 4-3-3. And uh, I I think that's where, where he will find his best form again. Uh, Ollie, Andy, thank you very much. By the way, if you're thinking, um, uh, you've done a whole load of recruitment with Liverpool and not taught Jude Bellingham. Uh, we did a whole pod on Jude Bellingham a couple of weeks ago, so you'll be able to find that on the feed. Uh, thank you uh, to you both. Don't forget you can subscribe to The Athletic for just a pound a month for the first six months, theathletic.com slash football pod. On tomorrow's pod, uh, we'll look at how things are going in Qatar ahead of next month's World Cup. Thanks for listening. The Athletic.